Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. I've got a, uh, actually ask somebody to share with you today. I wanted to tell you something, um, an experience I had. I met, I got to spend some time, I met a, um, got to go hang out with a, uh, some missionary pilots from the Missionary Aviation Fellowship. Anybody know about them? They, they supply, uh, you know, transport, medical, and fly missionaries around, that kind of thing. You know about it, Crystal? You, guys, you heard about it? Yeah. Does he work with them? No, but he, he wants to. But he wants to? That would be so awesome. See, if I could go back and relive my whole life, I would be like one of those missionary jungle bush pilots. That's why I get stuck, like, watching those videos of those landing in Alaska. You know, anything with aviation in Alaska up in the bush, I mean, it's like, I'm there. If I could do it over again, that's what I would do. But it, but uh, this is not a story about aviation. This was just a cool guy. He was a pilot there. He spent his life flying missionaries around. And uh, and I was single. This was, way, this was several years, I think, before I met Rin Kim. And uh, uh, he said to me, you know, he's like, are you married? You know, no. You know how people do, just introducing. And he said, when you're looking for your wife, he said, don't look for somebody who crosses your path. Look for somebody who's walking a path parallel to you. You don't want to just marry the first person who crosses your path. And uh, I, I remembered that. That like sunk into my heart. I kept it, you know. And so when I started talking to Rinkin and we became friends, we just became friends first. We weren't on the dating site or anything. You know, I realized that this was somebody who had a calling of God on her life. She had a ministry in India. She was uh, following God herself. I realized that this was somebody who I could come alongside with because she was already going. She was already following God. She wasn't wandering around crossing my path. She was on a mission. I mean, even without me, she'd be following God. God would have her in some kind of ministry right now. And so I remember when we first started talking and, and it kind of became a little more serious where we were where, you know, being more than just Facebook friends. Uh, she said, you know, if we do this, we want the kingdom of God to advance. If we pursue this, we don't want it to be for nothing. We want the kingdom to advance. So we've always had these, you know, big kingdom ideals, just, you know, even in our relationship. So I thought you guys would enjoy hearing some of her story and some of the things that she's experienced of God and uh, hearing what's on her heart. So I asked her to share today. So she's a little nervous because this is the first time she's done it here in the pulpit, but uh, officially. Uh, she shared a lot, though. You know, she has. And if you're in the ladies' group, you've heard her share. But I thought it would be great. And so would you make her feel welcome as Reen Kim comes up? Make her comfortable. Thank you. And uh, we just want to hear whatever the Lord has put on your heart. I know you've been working on it and praying. And let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to share your word that Rinkum and I can be in the ministry together and laboring together for the kingdom. Lord, we do pray that original prayer that that kingdom would expand through our, our relationship and through our family, Lord. Lord, I bless her today as she shares, Lord. Loose her tongue, like I prayed earlier, connect her tongue to your spirit and just let it go. And uh, Lord, bless us today. Give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, BJ, for asking me to share today. It is an honor indeed to stand before you this morning. 
And today I am also being joined live by my family, my mother, my father, my brother, my sisters in India. So I just want to say hello to my Neda Mohina. Uh, that's how are you. Take care. My cousins and some friends have also been waiting for this day. And I promise you, it has nothing to do with what I've got to say. They just want to hear if I have an American accent yet. <laughs> but I'm so sorry, my cousins and friends. You know, I wish I have an American accent, like they want me to. But, you know, they say after you become an adult, it is hard to, you know, get a new accent. And so today I'll be speaking in a very interesting mixed English accent, which will be Indian, tribal, American, and all of that. So good luck to everybody that's listening to me. <laughs> so my first memories of wanting to become a missionary dates back to my childhood days. I was just one of those little kids running around the church building, literally, and uh, the youth group from my church sang a song. Until today, I do not know the lyrics of the song, but just one sentence stood out. And the sentence goes like this, the, the line of the song. Uh, I'll sing it quickly. Macedonia gum hungal kazum love, vinati. Come over to Macedonia and help us. It's in Acts chapter 16 and verse 9. I didn't know if this story was in the Bible or if it was just a song somebody made. But I had those questions. Who are these people in Macedonia? Why are they asking for somebody to come over and help them? And what kind of help do they need? A few months later, I heard somebody read that verse in the Bible, uh, from the Bible in church. And he explained that um, Paul had a vision and they got, uh, you know, Paul was praying and he had a vision of a man pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And as soon as Paul had seen the vision, they got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. And ever since, my heart was set on the lost and those that had not seen the light of the gospel. Seven year, several years later, in the last year of my college, God asked me if I would leave everything I had and everything I knew to follow him and serve him. You know, it is easy to dream to be a missionary, but it is very hard to surrender the life that you know to follow God for the unknown. How many of you know that women don't like taking risks? <laughs> women like securities. We want to know where the next meal is going to come from. You know? We want to know that our future is taken care of. So I wanted to be independently you know, wealthy, serve God in church, and support missionaries from the comfort of my home. Does anybody remember the song, Please Don't Send Me to Africa? <laughs> anybody? No? Okay, I'll just read to you uh, what the song says. It's very funny. It's supposed to be funny, okay? But that describes me. Oh Lord, I'm your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained with many a tear. I have given you years of my service. I have always given my best, and I have never asked you for anything much. So, Lord, I deserve this request. I'll see that the money is gathered. I'll see that the money is sent. 
I'll wash and stack the communion cups. That was before COVID. <laughs> I'll type 11%. I'll volunteer for the nursery. I'll go on the youth group retreat. I'll usher, I'll deacon, I'll go door to door. But let me keep warming this seed. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. <laughs> I think I can write a women version of this song. You know? <laughs> Talking about a woman that is called but does not want to step into the unknown, you know, women like securities, like I said. The hardest part of saying yes to God was the leaving everything behind. Uh, my people, my tribe are tied to the land, the mountains, the rivers, the hills, and all of that where our ancestors lived for years. So our history and our stories are tied to the land where we have been living for ages. So moving away from the land does not mean the same thing as moving away somewhere else. That would mean something else in other parts of the world. So our forefathers rest in that land, and all of us want to rest with them and be buried next to them. So moving away part was very difficult for me. And there was another part of following Jesus that was hard for me. My parents. I loved my parents. I could not wait to graduate stand on my own feet and make them proud, you know, like a good daughter. But who should I choose? My mother and my father or Jesus? It was the hardest question I was ever asked. And I had to give an answer. And I chose Jesus. Matthew chapter 30, 10 verse 37 says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So that day, I was dead to my mother and my father. I died to my brother and my sisters. I died to my dreams and my ambitions. And I did not understand why God asked me to do something so hard until years later, I had to leave India to come to America. It was so much easier that I already died, but it was not easier for my parents, right? So today I want to speak about the love of God I've known for years that I was going to tell people about the love of God. So today we are going to speak on the love of God. And I picked that background because, uh, you know, me and my kids, we are into studying the outer space these days. My children are fascinated with the solar system and everything, so I did that for them. Let's read First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Apart from the love of my parents, my relatives, my family, my church, and my community, I was introduced or demonstrated the love of God by people that I have only heard stories about and I've never met. The likes of William Carey, Adoniram Judson. One of them I will speak about today who means a lot to me is uh, Watkin Roberts, a young missionary from Wales. He was only 22 when he left his father and mother and he sailed on a ship to come to India. And not just India, but to the remotest part of India. 
Vijay will pull up the map where I come from. You'll have an idea. That's the rest of India. That's India as a whole. And you see the chicken leg that connects. Yeah, that's Northeast Lake. That's where it says Northeastern State. That's where I'm from. It used to be unreached. There was just mountains, jungles. The terrain was hard. The people were unreached. The British, in the, uh, the British government documented us as headhunters. That was just 111 years ago. So this Watkin Roberts, uh, he came to Mizoram, one of the states where they had a base uh, with Dr. Fraser. He was a medical doctor and he came to uh, serve the people in that region. And one fine day, two men, strange-looking men, walked into their clinic looking for a medicine. And Watkin Roberts asked them, has anybody come to your place to preach about God or to tell you about God? And the two men said, no, sir, we have never heard about this God. And so Watkin Roberts sent them a book, a copy of the Gospel of John in a language that they could understand and sent it back with those two men. The, man, the two men took the book to uh, one of the village heads of my tribe, and uh, they read the book, but they could not understand what it meant. And so the village chief wrote on the back of the book and said, sir, why don't you come and explain to us what this book means? We read it, but we did not understand it. However, Watkin Roberts just could not go like that because the British government in India did not give him the permission to go into those provinces. It was dangerous, it's just dangerous, it's just unreached, all jungles. And not just the terrain in the jungles, the people were savages and headhunters killing one another and taking heads. But Watkin Roberts had a heart for people that have not heard of the light of God the light of the gospel. And so he took two local men and they walked, they walked on food without protection uh, into, those, into that province. And he was by himself, a white young boy, 22 years old, by himself, unprotected. And they walked during the day on foot, slept at night in the jungle, woke up again the next morning, walked again, slept in the jungle at night until they reached that village. And he explained to them the book of the Gospel of John. And the village chief and everybody that heard uh, the book explained, believed in Jesus Christ. And today, 100% of my tribe that lives right there are Christians. We owe it to Mr. Watkin Roberts. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. When I used to think of how much God probably loved me, I used to think of the likes of Watkin Roberts that left their homes and their families, that came by ship, traveled, was on ship for weeks, sometimes months, came to live in harsh conditions with us, ate our food, asked BJ about our food, <laughs> drank our water, wore clothes, you know, learned their languages, translated the Bible and the gospel books and the gospel hymns in our language and totally transformed our culture. When I turned 22 years old, 
I remember Watkins Roberts very much because he was only 22. He was a, a young person just like me when he came because he had the heart for my people and he came and preached the gospel to us. I know that this church supports missionaries. It makes a difference, I tell you. The two other most special people that demonstrated to me the love of God was an Australian missionary couple that worked with Wycliffe International, translating gospel books in the languages uh, of tribes or people groups that have not had the gospel in their, or just the, the Bible in their language. So this time I met these people and I knew them. We became friends first when I met them at my great uncle's house. My great uncle is a Presbyterian pastor. I spoke English, and so my great uncle asked me to come help take care of them in English. That's how I met them. And uh, we later on became friends. They became friends with my family, walked with us through some of the most uh, difficult times of our lives. And later on, when it was time for me to go to college, they asked my parents' permission if they could send me to college. And they sent me to one of India's most expensive private Christian college. I still don't understand why somebody would love me so much, but they were willing to let God love me through them. And that is why today, me and BJ, we support and we send children in India to school. Um, They're all ranging from first grade to college. Somebody did it for me in the name of Jesus Christ, and it made a difference in my life, so I owe it to Jesus to do it unto others. Amen? Amen. The other person that demonstrated the love of God to me was the Father himself, our Heavenly Father. When my earthly father could not be there for us anymore, I relied very heavily on my Heavenly Father, and I still do not know where I would be today without my Heavenly Father. Every Father's Day, I used to go to a place where I could be alone and I would sit on a bench or somewhere where I could, there was a place to sit. And I would sit on one end of the bench and leave a place next to me, like somebody was going to sit next to me. And I would have a meeting with God. I would say, Happy Father's Day, Peppa, meaning Father. Thank you so much for what you have done for me and my family. And I just tell him about how much I love him and I thank him. Even though my earthly father could not be there for me anymore, I never lacked in anything. I never felt alone because my heavenly father made sure that I was taken care of. And there was this one gift that the heavenly father gave me, the biggest, not just the biggest, it's the, a very, very special gift that he gave to me that I'm so thankful for, which is the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you more about how he gave me and he baptized me with the Holy Spirit later on. So one of the ways God chose to show his love for his people is heal their sicknesses. Just for the simple fact that he does not want us to suffer in our bodies. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace, that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 
There are so many sicknesses and diseases in this world. I'm just afraid to start counting. When Adam fell and the ground was cursed, and sin with our sinful lifestyles brought sickness upon sickness and diseases upon diseases, Jesus Christ had to put a stop to it and provide a solution once and for all. He bore all our sicknesses, all our diseases, all our pains, all our sorrows on his own body when he was beaten and flogged. And he carried them to the cross and he crucified them right there. I know that this can be a sensitive topic for a lot of people because we have probably lost our loved ones to sickness or we might be just battling sicknesses even right now. But if truth is truth and if God's word is true, Jesus paid for it, he paid for it, right? And this is how I know he wants to heal us. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. He healed all that came to him. And Matthew 14, 14. When he saw the large crowd, he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. So Jesus has compassion on the sick and the suffering. It is not so much because he wants to show the devil who the bigger person is. Jesus already is the bigger person. It is uncontested. It is not even about the principle of the thing that he has to get rid of all sicknesses. It's all of those, but he's moved by compassion. He hates to see you suffer. That's the whole point. He hates to see you suffer. He doesn't want you to be on this bondage of sin and suffering. One year, my husband and my kids were sick. They got a virus. It hit my husband first. And I thought, oh, he's an adult. He can take care of himself. He'll pray and he'll get it done, and, which is true. And a few days later, it hit my daughter. And this time I was a little bothered by it. And uh, I, I prayed a little, but I thought, she's three, four years old, so she's okay. You know, in a few days, she'll be fine. But then the next day or so, it hit Benjamin. Benjamin, he was a baby, he was an infant. And I was not going to sit and let the devil touch the baby. He better pick fight with somebody his size, not a baby that cannot defend himself. His fever was so high and he was so weak. He could not even talk, all he did was grunt. He could not eat, he could not drink and he was so, so sick. I was so mad. You should see a woman that's mad over the child. <laughs> I went to my bedroom. I yelled from right here. I said, devil, not the baby. I said, not the baby, devil, not the baby. You touch my child, the baby, now you have to leave. You leave my daughter, you leave my husband, you leave my house. It was not even five minutes. Benjamin, who was weak, and could not even sit or open his eyes. He jumped off my arm. He started running around and he said, Mama, Dada, and he took his toys and he started playing. And it was not even 30 minutes and Abigail's fever broke too and both of them had no sign of sickness that night, all within 30 minutes. 
Healing is our birthright as born-again Christians. When I became the citizen of the United States of America, I also got all the rights that a citizen enjoys. I could vote, I could run for office, I could do everything that all of you guys are doing, right? Healing is our birthright. You may not know it, but the devil knows it. And it is to his advantage that you stay ignorant of it. And you stay ignorant of your power and your authority over sicknesses in the devil. I used to be allergic to seafood all my life. Whenever I ate crabs or shrimp, I would break out and I would swell so bad. What a bad luck, an Asian being allergic to seafood. <laughs> you know, Asians and seafood, that's a part of her diet, but that was not for me. I could not eat seafood. And so, when I was in my early 20s, I found a book. And in that book, the author wrote something like this, that in heaven, we will get to eat all kinds of food and all kinds of meat. And that was like a light bulb moment. You know, the prodigal son that came to himself and he said, my father's servant has more than enough food and here I'm perishing. That was my moment. A few days ago, before I read that part in the book, I ate a street food that had shrimp in it. I didn't know, and I ate it, and I had such bad allergic reaction. And so you would think that I would never go back and eat shrimp again, right? But no. I prayed this simple prayer. I said, Lord, if it is true that I can eat anything and everything that I want in heaven, then I also want to eat anything and everything I want on earth and never have any problem. And with that simple prayer, I went to the marketplace where they sold the uh, street food, and I went to this lady that had the most delicious looking charcoal green grilled sausage shrimp on a skewer. <laughs> and I ate all of it. <laughs> Five minutes passed, nothing happened. I was watching the time. 30 minutes passed, nothing happened. Two hours passed, nothing happened. I went to bed that night and I woke up in the morning and nothing happened to me. And ever since I've been eating shrimp and crabs and whatever, <laughs> and I have no problem. God wants us healed. God wants to take all of our sorrows, our pains, our sufferings, our allergies, everything, you name it, you have it. It's like, okay, done from his part. It's from our side. Are we willing to believe? Or do we even know that it's there for us? Had nobody told that I could run for office, I, I would not have. But now that I know, you know, I might, who knows? <laughs> Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It took me somebody to tell me that I did not, I could eat anything and everything that I wanted in heaven. If nobody has ever told you that you don't have to be sick on your bodies, and you don't have to put up with that thing, then I tell you today, you do not have to put up with that thing, that sickness. Remember, I didn't pray for BJ or Abigail. You know, we just put up with things. 
Last week, all of last week, I had pollen allergy, so bad, so bad. And I put up with it. I don't know why I do that. I put up with things. I know that all I had to do was command it and it would leave. All I had to do was pray and it would leave. But Wednesday came, Thursday came, and I was supposed to talk today, and I didn't have anything ready yet. I had a severe bad headache, and I had itchy eyes, runny nose, sore throat, and all of that. But I had enough of it, I said. Enough. Allergies will leave my body right now. And it left. I don't have allergies anymore. That was just within seconds. I want to tell you another example of healing in my family. About 20 years ago, my father felt so sick. That's all they told him. They told me he is sick. You know, do you tell children what is sick or are his diagnosis because they want to protect children? But I knew that something was really, really wrong because the church elders came and started measuring timber to make a coffin. And my uncle, my father's older elder brother, he came and surveyed the land for his burial plot. And I saw people walking in and out of the hospital crying day and night. And I overheard some people saying that the doctor said his liver was gone kidneys, gone, all of that. I don't even know in details. But you know what? Before my father was taken to the hospital, I prayed. I told God, God, please save my father's life. And not just his life, save his soul. And God gave me this assurance and this peace that he would not take my father's life or his soul. And so I stood on that promise and I believed it. And there was this one man, he was so kind, he was trying to be kind to me. He came to me and said, Boy, no, which means little girl, if your father dies, don't be sad. You will be in heaven with Jesus. And I looked at that man with the most innocent heart and I said, Hey, all means older brother. My father is not going to die. He's going to live. And he's going to be a testimony of God healing people. And that man just looked at me with, you know, feeling so much sorrier for me because he thought I was just this kid having hopes that might be, you know, I might be disappointed with. So they brought my father home on a stretcher. The doctor said it was any day, any moment. So we had people already gathering in my house, you know, starting to carol and comfort us. But my father, ever since, he just got stronger and stronger and healthier and healthier and a few years ago, I think that was about 15 years after he was taken from the hospital to die, he went back to the hospital. He never went back to the hospital. It must have been at least 15 years. He went back to the hospital to get a physical checkup. And I read the report of his physical checkup. I don't know if BJ read it. It says, kidneys, normal. Liver, normal. Heart, normal. Blood pressure, normal. Everything normal. What happened? What happened? God wants to heal us so much. <clears throat> Receive your healing today. He wants to give it to you. He wants you whole. Ask Jesus to heal you and he will. Speak to your sickness and he will leave you. And this is not just for me. I did not make it up. It is in the Bible. It's a promise given to us. Yes. God wants to touch your life. When Jesus walked on earth, he put himself right in the middle of the people. He was all about people. He was all about you and I. 
He walked with them and ate with them and sat down with them. He touched them and healed them and went into their homes and visited them. And he was right in the middle of where people were. Today, he's at the right hand of the Father and he still wants to do that today. But he's not here physically that we can touch him, that we will know him. And that's why he's asking his children, his followers to love one another and be there for one another. Hold hands of somebody that needs help. Visit somebody that needs visited. Pray for that somebody that needs prayed for. Be the Jesus that Jesus wants you to be. Let's read Matthew's chap Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 and 40. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then what did Jesus say? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever we do unto one another, Jesus counts it as us doing it unto him. Do you remember when Paul was struck by that light? And God, Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He did not say, why are you persecuting the Christians or them or my people? He said, me. He's owning us. He's taking it personal because it's all about us, you and me. In the same way, let's take God personal. He's our father and we are his children, his own. Let us step into the rightful place into our rightful places in the house of God and not act as guests or strangers looking at the kingdom of God from the outside, thinking that all the promises of God are for those people that are in the inside, but we are in the outside. No, let's step right in. Let's take it personal. Let's own him. Let's take ownership of God and the things of God. Luke chapter two, verse 49, when his Jesus' father and mother were looking for him. Do you remember what he said? Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He is taking ownership of God and the house of God. It was the most natural thing for him to do, to be all about his father's business. You know, in our culture, when somebody visits you, they first sit in the living room, right? And then, if the visit goes well, that person might move from the living room into the kitchen. And then your joy, your happiness goes a little higher, right? Oh, things are going good. And from the kitchen, that person might go to the, go and make himself tea without asking you. And then you get happier, right? And then that person will start looking for leftover food to see if you can find anything to eat. Oh, then that is the best. That's the best visit you could have. You're so happy. It's so warm. It's so great. But when somebody visits you and sits just in the living room and would not even move, and you offer him, sir, would you want to have tea? And he said, 
No, thank you. You know, you feel sad. Is he not comfortable? Oh, does he not like us? Does he not like our house? You know, and if he leaves right away, oh, you go to bed so sad and bothered. Why does he not like to visit with us? What's wrong? You know, I know it's not the same in America, <laughs> or at least not always the same. You know, you don't want people, just anybody. You know, maybe somebody you know very well, you won't mind, but you just don't want anybody visiting you to come into your house, go in your kitchen, make themselves coffee, or go through your fridge, or. Some people, you visit them, they stand at the door. They will not even let you in. They, they are like, as if they are drawing the line. This is it. You come till here. <laughs> and some people, they won't even give you their address. They don't even want you in their house. <laughs> but I know you're wondering how people in the East live, you know, with people going in and out and all of that. You're like, Where's, what about personal space? What about privacy? You guys are crazy, right? I promise you, the people in the East are thinking the same thing about Westerners, you know? Why are they so lonely, you know? How, how are they, like, they hear people, but they don't like people. Are they Vulcans? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's take ownership of God and take ownership of our Father and make ourselves at home and comfortable. We are his. He is ours. God's love wants to heal us. He wants to touch us. And let's talk about he wants to bless us spiritually. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. God walked with Adam and talked with him. A spiritual God talking and walking with a physical man. That's what he wanted to do since the beginning, and that's what he wants to do till today. He will defy all physical laws to do things for us, through us, and in us. And because we are not supposed to be limited to the laws of science and nature. In one part of the Bible, it says he has put, God has put everything under the feet of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? He, that means he also put the laws of nature. The laws, law of gravity, first and second laws of thermodynamics, Archimedes principle, the universal, the universal law of decay, you name it. He confounded people time and time again when he defied all natural, physical, chemical, and physiological laws. When he parted the Red Sea, or when the sun stood still and did not go down. What about Kepler's law right there? When Jesus turned water into wine. Think about the chemical process of making wine. It takes six molecules of carbon 12 molecules of hydrogen and six molecules of oxygen to make wine or what we call ethanol with a carbon dioxide, of course. See, two molecules of hydrogen and one molecule of oxygen does not balance with six molecules of carbon and 12 molecules of hydrogen and six molecules of oxygen. There is no equilibrium. The chemical equation does not balance. God is not limited to the natural laws or the chemical processes. 
neither are we, and we call them signs and wonders and miracles. This world is natural, but God is supernatural. He wants us to be more than natural. He wants your situation, whatever it is, to be turned around. He wants your body to defy the decaying laws and not decay anymore and start making healthier life cells, which is totally opposite of decaying laws. He wants you to be able to speak to your situation, send a word out, and let that word do what it is intended to do. He wants you to lay hands or touch somebody and their cells and their DNA change. Doesn't happen. He wants to bypass your mind and your brain and make you pray beyond your mind. You know, I speak six different languages and sometimes I cannot find one word in any of those six languages to, to express or to articulate what the Spirit wants to tell God. And so what do I do? I just groan and I just moan, because there's no word. Learning another language is not going to solve it. So for lack of word, I say hallelujah with my mouth, but in my spirit, my spirit is saying something that there's no word for in this entire world. I know what it is, but I can't tell you because there is no word. There's no vocabulary for it. It is like a baby that doesn't have all the words to express what it wants, so what does it do? It just cries and cries. So shall we limit ourselves to the limitations of our minds and our bodies, our flesh and our five sense of organs? Or shall we walk in the spirit? We can worship him in the flesh with our mouth and our voices, or we can worship him in the spirit. Jesus says, those that worship me should worship me in spirit and in truth. Are we going to serve him in the physical and the programs and the activities and the business? Or are we going to serve him in the spirit and by the spirit? When he wants to live in the supernatural, who are we to settle for the natural? Why? You know, this flesh and these senses in my body can discern only the things of the flesh. But God, who is a spiritual being, can be discerned only by the Spirit and in the Spirit. Jesus himself, the God that we say we worship, he was conceived by the Spirit, he was baptized in the Spirit, he was transfigured by the Spirit, and he was resurrected by the Spirit. Amen. Therefore, we need the Spirit, even more so if we want to follow Him and know Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? I call it keeping up with the apostles. You know, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the apostles. <laughs> the story of my baptism in the Spirit is one with sorrow and much tears. We were little kids. My cousin, who was only eight or nine years old then, she was younger than me. 
She went with her friends to a place called Bethel. Bethel is just a place that somebody donated to the village. So anybody who wants to pray and worship God would go there day in and out free. So they went to Bethel to pray and worship God. And then she became unconscious. And so her little friends who were her age, her size, they dragged her to her house. And her father, who was my great uh, uncle, the Presbyterian pastor that I was talking about, he knew exactly what happened with her. And he was not just a pastor, he was also one of the first theological seminary student graduate in our, in our, in our village. And so he's supposed to know the Bible, the scripture more than us. And so he knew exactly what happened. And he called the elders of the church, and the elders and his wife, and my great uncle, they all prayed and waited for her. And when she came back, she was only seven, eight. This child doesn't know anything about the Bible. She's a child, right? Anything as he doesn't know about the spiritual things. She told her father accounts of what Jesus showed her. She said, Father, Jesus took me to heaven and to hell and showed me all the things that are in heaven and hell. And he said, go back to your people and tell them, tell them to repent and change or they will be in this place that I show you called hell. And her father, who was supposed to know the scriptures, saw that everything she described about heaven and hell was accurate because he went to Bible school, right? And also there were some other people in my village that had visions of Jesus, so they cross-examined her description of Jesus and it was accurate. You know, I was very happy for my cousin, but you know what happened inside me? I was sad. I felt like God did not pick me. First Corinthians chapter, First Corinthians chapter one verse seven said, "So that you are not lacking in any gift, right? I did not want to lack in any gift. If there's anything for me in God, I wanted it too. I didn't just want somebody else to have it, and God skipped me. When we were in second, seventh, or eighth grade, somewhere there." My very good friend who sat with me in class and went to school, we played around together, same, right? We were same, the same. And then she received this gift of healing. She didn't know she had the gift of healing. She prayed for somebody and that person got healed and word spread fast. And so they started bringing people from all around the town and from neighboring towns and people came and she laid hands on people and people got healed day and night and day and night. She could not even go to school. That was her ministry, day and night, day and night. And not just that, the power of God upon her was so strong that if she touched anybody, they fell to the ground. They could not even stand in the presence of God that was upon her. I was, ex I was actually very surprised. I didn't know that such a thing ever happened. You know. Uh, but I was also very sad again, once again. Why is God treating me like an outsider? Why did he not pick me? What is it about me that he would pick my friend who played with me every day and did not pick me and pick somebody else? <clears throat> you know, when I finished high school, I had this, I have always been having this hunger, this burning hunger, desire for something. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was God, but it was something. And I know now that it was the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was I was hungering for, but I didn't know what it was. I went to my mother and said, Mother, please, I have to go to Bible school because I wanted something and I don't know what it is. I cannot sleep. I cannot, I cannot eat. 
My mother tried to talk me out of it, but she could not. So she said, finally, she said, okay, I'll call your uncle, my uncle, my father's younger brother, who's an evangelist, and you talk to him. And my uncle sat down with me. I said, this, I beg, uncle, I need to go to Bible school because I thought in Bible school, the Bible teachers will be able to give you what you need, right? So I need to go to Bible school because I want something that, and I'm not getting it. I, I cannot live like this. I have to go. I have to go. And then my uncle didn't know what to do, so he called another person, a pastor friend of his, who went to Bible school. So they sat down with me and they asked, and they, they let me talk. And I said the same thing. I need to go to Bible school. I want it. I want it. I cannot live. I cannot, I cannot sleep. I cannot, you know, I cannot do anything. And then this pastor looked at me and said, boy, you, little girl, what you are looking for, you will not find in the Bible school. Because he knew what I was hungering for. It was the Spirit of God, and I wasn't going to find it in a Bible school. So that was good advice. I didn't go to Bible school. <laughs> but then I went to college, right? And I, God led me to this student ministry, and that was where I wanted to be. Um, I thought I had seen it all. I've never seen anything like this. Before, I saw one or two people used by God, picked by God. But this time, I walked into a building where everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. Like you would think in the upper room, you know, that room, that's the closest thing I can imagine. <clears throat> Every one of them, young people like me, speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. You can, you can know, you can see in their faces, in their bodies, that it was the presence of God, the glory of God upon them. And I wanted it so badly. Everybody got it but me. And finally, I could not control myself anymore. So I went up to the preacher and said, why am I not having it and everybody's having it? And the preacher wanted to give me some comforting words, but I was not going to be comforted. Don't comfort me. I want that something. So every day, every Friday, Friday was a Bible study. I would go to this Bible school, oh sorry, Bible study, I would sit on the front row and devour everything that, that the preacher preached because I was so hungry and I would sit there until the last person left because I was waiting in hopeful expectation that the power of God, the Holy Spirit would fall upon me and I would be baptized too. But then I would go home not receiving the Holy Spirit. I was so sad, tears in the outside, brokenness in the inside. And that happened for weeks. And I would pray. And the hungrier I got, the more I prayed. I said, God, I want it. I'll give everything up. I'll give everything up. And the hungrier I got, the more I gave up my, the things that were attached to me. The hungrier I got, the more I gave up things until all I wanted was God and everything he had for me, just the Holy Spirit and nothing else. And one beautiful Friday Bible study, the power and the fire of God fell upon me and I was baptized. I cannot explain, I cannot articulate how it felt like, but if you looked at my body on a CD scan, it would look like electric charges all over my body, from head to toe. and and my tongue, my tongue, I could not even speak one intelligible word. And the peace and the presence of God that I, like I've never known, I felt like I was immersed in, in the presence of God. And many more, I cannot describe. And I was not the same ever since. And that 
was the beginning of my story of my ministry by the Spirit of God. There are many miracles that happened after that that God did. I thought of not sharing one, just tell you. And so you remember, I surrendered my life to God and I went, so I went back home this time and I, and I did exactly what I saw in the Bible study that I used to go to. I used to gather little children from my village who ever wanted to come. I'd have 60, 70 kids sitting on the floor of my parents' living room and I would preach like the preacher would preach. I'd lay hands on those. Wait, I didn't even think, doubt, I didn't even think twice if I was able to minister that way lay hands on the kids, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, everything that happened in that Bible study that I went to, I saw it in my parents' living room floor. And not just that, the power of God on me was so powerful. It wasn't me, it was the power of God on me, the presence of God that I did not even have to touch people. I just walked and everybody that was around me just fell left and right on the floor. And people got healed left and right. I was hungry for it. I asked for it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Amen? You can ask for it. Maybe you don't know. You have never known that you could, there was something like that, but there is. In closing, I want to tell you one of the biggest stories that shook India in the recent past. In the year 1999, Graham Staines, an Australian missionary, and his two sons, both under the age of 10, then they were burnt alive in their jeep in the state of Orissa in India. The news was carried on the front page of almost all newspapers for weeks, and everybody wondered and waited what his wife and his children and his daughter would say. And finally, his widowed wife, Gladys Gaines, she issued a statement saying that she had forgiven those that killed her husband and her children. And this news, this story of her forgiving those that killed her husband was even bigger now. It shook India. It confounded everybody. Nobody could understand how she could forgive somebody that killed her husband and her children like that. Even those that committed the murder could not believe what they heard. It was not what they expected. And those were the, and the, and the news spread far and wide in all corners of India. And we hear stories about people, you know, missionaries are anybody, evangelists that would go out into the remotest part of India that would distribute tracts, right, about Jesus, and people would go up to them and ask, are you talking about the Jesus that Graham Staines worshipped or believed? And if they say yes, they say, yes, I want to know that Jesus too. A kernel of wheat fell to the ground and died. And see what beautiful fruits has produced. Are you willing to lay down your life for the nations? Are you willing to lay down your life and make a difference and sow your life for the harvest of souls? You know, there are many numerous accounts of uh, people 
that I've heard from through my friends, and even my friends have experienced this too. They would travel to different parts of India on train. If you if you travel by train, you'll notice you sit in a compartment with total strangers, somebody you have never heard or seen before, and you'll be sitting with them for a day or two, or as long as it takes to reach the other side where you're going. And uh, so these people, my friends, have experienced uh, people sitting in the same compartment with them, look at them and ask, are you a Christian? And if they say yes, they'll say, can you wait and watch my belongings so I can go to the bathroom? <laughs> because in the train, the moment you turn your back on your belongings, it's gone, right? But they look at Christians and say, can you watch my belongings for me? Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and, for, and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. When you are in a crowd, would people look at you and know that you are a Christian? Can they tell the difference? I encourage us, all of us, me, you, to make a difference, to leave an impact on the world. God loves you and he wants to bless you and heal you and prosper you and use you. He has plans only to prosper you and not to harm you and plans to give you hope and a future. Like it says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, may you and your family be blessed and may be peace be in your house. Thank you everybody. just ask us to um he's not asking us to do it all ourselves we can do what we can't do our labor is to enter that rest to be connected to the vine right amen is to let him work through us this is the work that you believe this is what it means to do the works that he requires that you believe and let him do it so much bit he is so beyond what any of us could imagine or do or create ourselves what he does. I'm ready to run with him, are you? Let's just dismiss with a prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for the word today. I pray that this goes into our, not just in our ears, but into our hearts, Lord, and grows and challenges and produces lasting fruit. Lord, I pray the hunger that Rinkin described today as she was describing her experience and her walk with you, Lord, be the hunger that we all have until we receive everything you have for us, until we are walking in the fullness of the Spirit, Lord. Lord, take us to that place where it's not me, but it's you. But Lord, only that we might become less, that we would get out of your way and quit trying to make everything come through our understanding and our intellect and our abilities. Father, we yield to you. I yield my life to you. Lord, just let us represent you. Let us show the world Jesus, not ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.